Hey, Simple Passive Cash Flows listeners. Today, we are going to learn the difference between perfect equity and traditional equity. Seen in a lot of deals out there. We're going to go through the pros and cons. But before we get started, let me uh, share you a little bit what's going on the website. We've, got, we've set dates for the uh, 2022 Ui Master My Retreat. This past year, we had to do it virtually, but uh, we're bringing the gang back together. And we're inviting a whole bunch of folks, those people in the We Do Pipeline Club. You guys can sign up there for simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. Join there and check out this retreat I have set up at simplepassivecashflow.com slash 2022 retreat is the URL. You can check out all the cool videos that we have from last year, see little testimonials and see what we got planned during the weekend. This is going to be taking place Martin Luther King weekend, 2022, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday packed with fun stuff. It's going to be relaxing too. You're going to be in Oahu in Hawaii. I'm going to take you guys throughout the island and it's a great way to meet other pure passive accredited investors. And we're going to do it the simple passive cash flow way. So again, check that out. And if you guys can, please do a survey for me on the top of the the page. I haven't set the pricing yet because I haven't figured out what you guys want, how extravagant you guys want to have this thing. I know a lot of you guys are pretty rich out there, but a lot of you guys are really frugal too at the same time. But let me know if you guys want to smoke cigars, go golfing, or just hike and do cool stuff like that. Let me know. Again, do that survey for me, simplepassivecashflow.com slash 2022 retreat if you haven't done so yet, so you can get a say at what we're going to be doing this year at the annual retreat. And if you guys want to join our community and get the uh, free courses that we have, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. And for a special limited time, get my free remote investor light e-course by uh, signing up for that club and then shoot me a quick email at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com with subject line L-I-T-E, lights team knows to uh, hook you up with that free course. And here's the show. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey investors, want to go over preferred equity versus traditional equity? This is in different deals, they're called different things. A1, A2, or class A, B, C. But... If this is new to you, we're going to be going over the story and how we started to implement these options in deals and maybe stick to the end or some advanced stuff or some more experienced investors. Maybe this is the tool for the job in the certain situation. So the first thing, traditional equity was how we first started out. Very simple deals, a straight split, such as a 70-30 split with 70% of profits going to passive investors and 30% going to general partners. And of course, that kind of changes based on a better deal or thinner deal. But it's very simple, very transparent. And that's where we started out with, with this traditional equity option. And then we started to realize that some investors coming in, they may want a more conservative option. They may not want to be in the deal as long as potentially three to seven years or even more. And or maybe they had a lot more money. They were up to that end game point where they had three to five million dollars and they just wanted a straight coupon paid monthly. They don't really care about growing their money more. And also you know, there are a lot of newer investors that maybe came from the private money lending world. Of course, when they see this stuff, they're like, why the heck would I want to give 
a huge chunk of money to these unsophisticated house flippers, it be ordinary income, which we don't want. We want passive income. We created this pref equity class, which is a very small layer. It's a very small part of the equity. And so we, this was born, pref equity. We'll just, in this case, we'll call it A1. Of course, it's always called in different things and different deals. So always check the PPM, what the naming convention is used. So we started to go in with two different classes of equity, the preferred equity, and it acts like a debt investment where you're getting a straight pref return and you're from like eight, 10%, maybe even 11% we've had in the past and certain deals can cover it. It acts like a debt investment, like a private money lending deal, but you are an equity investor. So the cool thing about that is you're getting the piece of your a percent per rata share of the cost segregation, bonus depreciation, and, and losses. Now, implications for pref equity. Like I said earlier, this may be a good thing for more mature investors out there who have a higher net worth, who just want to collect a steady income check, or newer investors looking to move away from ordinary income to more of the passive income, or just want to try us out. Great way to sit at the top of the capital stack with a more conservative option where you don't have to wait you know, maybe a couple quarters for the deal to get restabilized to start seeing distributions. Typically with the pref equity or A1 in this case, you're gonna get paid out a lot quicker. In the past, we've started paying out distributions right after the first complete month and then paid monthly distributions after that. Great situation if you have a skeptic spouse at home. If you guys are looking for the, uh, the cheat sheet on working with a skeptic spouse, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash spouse. Also shoot me an email. I got some videos for you guys that we did at the last um, virtual mastermind. But a great way to show them that monthly return a month or two after you initially invested in the deal. Now, nothing gives them more confidence than seeing that almost 1% of your investment going in the bank account on a routine monthly basis like that. And hopefully gives your skeptic spouse the confidence to let you invest some more, which is ultimately what you want to be doing. Because where else are there? Are you going to find better returns out there that's backed by real estate and not only any real estate, but stabilized assets with a great business plan to bump the rents up. Another person that make it's great for is investors who maybe they want to be a hybrid investor. They want the upside, so they're going to hop in the A2 or traditional equity piece, but they also want some peace of mind with that steady income stream. Now, some people will combo this. So they'll maybe go 50 grand in A2 and 20 grand or 10 grand or 50 grand in A1. Great way to play on both sides. Maybe you just want to put in 10 grand so your skeptic spouse could just see a few um, dollars hitting the bank account every month, but you have the majority of it in the equity piece, which is ultimately going to grow more and have a bigger equity multiple at the end. There's a couple of examples of some people doing this. They had an investor, they learn about all this alternative investing information and they had their paid off house and they realized what a mistake that was. So they get a HELOC on it. And now they have access to $400,000 and they went in a hundred grand into the deal, but they had still maybe remaining $300,000 and they had another hundred thousand dollars of liquidity lying around and they had all this cash, right? Like just sitting around doing nothing. So what they decided to do is plop down a couple hundred thousand dollars into A1, knowing that they would get that money back earlier. And that's how typically it works. What we're trying to do is like the pref equity kind of gets us off the ground, gets us rolling. 
but we're, make no mistake, we're trying to remove those investors as soon as possible. Typically, once we get a lot of the rents stabilized, we get the initial bump, maybe in the first uh, few years, we're trying to do that refinance to get these people out of the games to make all our traditional equity, the A2 guys, our returns go up. Thanks. Well, thanks for helping us, guys. Now we don't need you. You guys are out. And hopefully it's like a mutual thing where investors, another reason why they go into the pref equity A1 is they don't want to be locked up in a deal that long. And I don't know where that really comes from. Maybe it's a non-committal thing. Really, where else are you going to get better returns? But look, everybody's got different situations. And even people in different situations want to segregate their portfolio a certain way. Maybe you have some part of your portfolio a little more conservative. You want to take a little bit more asymmetric risk, which I don't think these deals are, right? When you're investing in stabilized assets that produce cash flow every month with a good business plan, I don't really call that asymmetric risk like investing Dogecoin or altcoins out there or doing more of a development deal. It would be an example of more. We work with hardworking professionals looking to opt out of investments for the clueless. I mean, mainstream investing. We work with people we have a direct relationship while enjoying higher returns and a quicker path to financial freedom. I personally move my endorsement from turnkey rentals to syndications as my net worth has grown. However, the downside of many of these deals is that you need at least $50,000 to invest, and the frequency of deals that meet my criteria is sporadic. Check out my article at simplepassivecashflow.com slash ofund and learn how I always have cash on hand by using the American Home Preservation Fund as part of this one-two punch to be ready for a great deal while still making a double-digit return. I have been investing in AHP since 2016. AHP is a crowdfunding solution to the mortgage crisis in America, where collectively the fund and investors like you pull their money together and get great bulk discounts on distressed mortgages. It's a business model that I think gets stronger should a bump in the economy come, because this is where there will be even more distressed inventory for AHP to purchase. The American Home Preservation Fund aims to keep people in their homes so you can make a 10% return while making a positive social impact. Invest in as little as $100 by going to ahpservicing.com investors. And if you want the free Burn Zone book and learn about George Newberry's story, please send me an email at lane at simplepassacashflow.com. I like to buy stuff. Well, that's a liability. Another investor asked me one time, what do you think I should do? I'm torn between the two. They both sound great. I asked them the question like, hey man, how's your job? Do you think you're going to get fired anytime soon? The company downsize. The reason I asked that is, well, if they're, if, if you're a government worker or you have a pretty steady W-2 job, let it ride. If you got your emergency savings account, a few months of expenses to kind of tie you over to find your next job, or you have opportunities to harvest some cash, maybe from a Roth IRA, cash savings or HELOC, you're good. Put it in traditional equity, especially if you're under a million or two net worth. You need to grow your money. Pref equity, 10, 11% is a great return. Personally, I think you can grow it better in the traditional equity. That's what you should be doing. If you're not to two to $3 million and above, you've got to grow your money. You've got to use analogy. You've got to score more points. You've got to put up more points on the board. If not, you're not going to win the game. And the flip side of that is say an investor said, you know, I work for oil and gas industry, things are weird, um, or I'm on a contract work this year. I don't know what's going to happen in six months. Then I would say you should do the pref equity at this stage of the game. Get your money working, get the cash flow. 
that might be a better way for that particular person to go. But again, it's different for every situation. Every person has different, you know, ideally you're segregating your portfolio. As you've seen, you've seen my portfolio. Sometimes I take more risks. Most of my portfolio is pretty conservative. Most of these stabilized cash flow deals. And then the last example, you know, some investors, they have a huge glut of lazy equity, maybe even half a million or $2 million of lazy equity they haven't done. Like I've said, I've seen investors invest a million dollars in the first year with me. But I think that's an outlier, right? I suggest people try things out slowly, hang out for a year, make sure we're competent. And I know we're competent. We've done a lot of deals thus far. I'm just being empathetic to new people coming in because that's the prudent thing. That's the thing I would do. I don't recommend anything that I don't, wouldn't do. At the same time, you got money burning a hole in your pocket. And for every million dollars of lazy liquidity you have, you could just stick that into something at 10% pretty easy, such as AHP. Now, I wouldn't suggest putting all that money in one place or all that money in a pref equity deal, but you want to deploy the funds, but you want to do it prudently. A nice way of doing this is putting a chunk in pref equity to just get it working because the idea is you're going to get that much quicker. A lot of these, these deals, they make us put a lot of this money as reserves. So once we hit certain milestones or we refinance the money out, we return a lot of that initial equity capital to investors right off the bat. And maybe you originally went in with 100 grand of pref equity. Maybe you're only sitting with 50 grand on a year's time. Now, every year, every deal is different. And I don't want to set any precedents here, but the pref equity is a shorter term lifespan. If you sticking money in there, you got to think that you're getting a heck of a lot faster than most people on the traditional equity side. So it can be a strategy thing. So the way of thinking about it is you're putting loading money in, but you're leapfrogging it to maybe a one to three years into the future that you know you're going to get it back. But then you go to redeploy it into more of a traditional equity A2 scenario. I do this a lot of times. It's kind of like a short-term one to three years E in a way. Yeah, you want to get your money in traditional equity, but you're waiting for good deals to come around, which and they're pretty infrequent. And if you're starting out, you may not have good deal flow. You likely don't, right? So you want to be patient, but you still want to get your money working. And that's what the pref equity option allows. Just going over a scenario here, 100K investment with a 10 to 11% return, just using that as an example, annual projected cash flow of around 10 to $12,000 a year, right? That's 10, 11%. There's a typo and that should be $11,000 for 11%. But that comes out to be on a $100,000 investment, a little under $1,000 paid monthly. But sometimes people ask, well, what if we don't get paid? A lot of times you have to understand that the A1 private equity is a very small part of the capital stack. In deals past, the amount of capital we've raised in the A1 portion is very small, like maybe five or 10, at most, maybe we've seen 15% of the capital stack. Well, sometimes people get concerned like, oh, there's an investor class ahead of us. Well, there is, but it's pretty small potatoes in the grand scheme of things. And we wouldn't put that A1 class in there if we knew we would pay it off. And that's how we as sponsors responsibly create the allotments for each of these classes and the risk. It may seem like it's a little arbitrary. Some deals are 10%, some deals are 11%, but we take great care. And there's always a reason why things as sponsors. So the A1 is a preferred rate of return, which starts accumulating once the property closes. And we've had investors ask, does this compound? No, it does not compound. That's not, that would make things very complicated um, in terms of paying people back the compound rate. 
normally what we try and do, you know, if things are going a little slower, we will, we may start off the payments slower for the prep equity guys, but our whole intention is to catch right up after the first year to make people whole at that, whatever, 10, 11 percent. And I think at this point, like there's also a question that came up, Hey, once you return my money back, let's just say in year two, there's a refinance where I gave you half of your hundred grand back. So you're in the deal with only 50 and the guy asked, am I still getting my 11% on my hundred or on my 50? And I was like, you're only getting money in your 50. <laughs> I wish if I, if that was the case, I've invested in that too, but no, you only get money that you're making in the prep equity on what you have in the deal. Again, our intention is to exit you out. So our traditional equity investor return. And again, like I said earlier, you're still an equity investor, even though it acts like a debt investment. So you, you have equity, which means, yay, you have the tax benefits and you get your pro rata share of the, the cool thing. And I've said this a lot as a little trick or hack that I've learned. We had some syndicators invest in our deal, which kind of shows that other people like to invest with us. And when this stuff was all new, there was another syndicator that actually took a big chunk of my private equity investment. I was like, what are you doing? Talk to the logic. And they told me that we like the fact that we can put the money in and get our share of the losses and then get out of the deal sooner than everybody else. But when we get out, RCBA has told us that we get to retain, hold on to those losses until the whole deal exits. So let's just say we refinance every all the pref equity guys out in year three. Well, all that depreciation recapture capital gains, they don't have to pay that until the whole deal exits, potentially another few years later, or maybe even another five years after that. So it's a great way of kind of stockpiling passive activity losses if you're somebody who runs low on that. But yeah, you will get A1, will get the full benefit of the cost set based on your pro rata share of the capital stack. And said in a different way, A1 are entitled to the losses with their original principal. But of course, consult your CPA, uh, tax professional. Here's getting more into the advanced um, aspects of the pref equity. Some people are like, hey, Lane, I trust you. Should I do pref equity on this one or um, traditional equity? And again, every situation is different and in everybody's portfolio, you have different allocations and that's just based on your personal preference. But now this particular individual, I know their portfolio pretty well. They trust me and I know what they're trying to do long term. And in this particular case, it was not a yield deal. It was more of a, a medium to heavy value add. So there was a lot of upside in that way. And as this says right here, it is less advantageous to do pref equity when your upside is higher because you're giving it up. But to use an analogy, it's kind of LeBron James signing with Adidas. Obviously, that didn't happen. Obviously, Adidas gave LeBron James a low ball offer or a much lower offer than Nike in a way. I don't want to take my 10, 11% straight preferred return, even though that's great. I think this one's a good one. It's going to pop. And therefore, I wanted to go into the traditional equity. If you want to have a part of your portfolio where you just get a straight 11%, 10% return, you got your deductions, your passive activity losses coming from it, you want to have a part of your portfolio. But what I would look for are the more yield deals as opposed to the more um, value add type of opportunities with the upside. Now you might have the complete opposite viewpoint of this. And you're like, well, the ones with the more value add, those could potentially be more risky. I don't necessarily agree with that logic, but hey, that's you guys, right? You guys can think whatever you guys want. So that person may think if in a more riskier project, perceived risky, even though it is real estate and stabilized after all, and people need a place to live, they may want to go for the pref equity side. It's just, I'm just giving you guys ideas out here.
So in a set in a different way, it might be more appealing when the A2 and the A1 does not have a large gap. And said in another way, the more the yield deal, the better candidate it is for pref equity. Whereas the more value add, the more the potential pop there could be. It makes, I would do the pref equity less. But then again, it's just timing, right? When deals pop up, you know, really like, and you want pref equity, you feel like, ah, I'd like to have a little more stable cash flow on a month to month basis. And the next deal comes up and it's a value add. You, you got to get what you need. That's life. Uh, a lot of these deals, and you can't really go wrong, pref equity, A1, A2, just kind of personal preference. Digging in here more, so all this stuff is the same stuff we've been talking about, difference between pref equity and traditional equity. Again, A2 has, or the traditional equity has the higher potential returns. And one could say, uh, if you're not getting the upside, why are you playing the game? Maybe, like I said, if you got four or five million dollars, you don't care. <laughs> you're already at end game. But... For most people under a couple million dollars net worth, you got to play the game and you got to put your money in traditional equity because you need the growth. While we're on this topic, people are like, well, I went into three deals at the minimum. Why am I not to financial freedom? Dude, you only put in $150,000. $150,000, even if you made 15, 20%, is not that much money. You got to put in more money. You got to get more skin in the game. A lot of these like what people don't realize is most sophisticated investors are putting in maybe fifty, a hundred thousand dollars, but they're going in a lot of deals. They've got a big chunk of money and they're working. And the nice part of that is it's the A two investors, the traditional equity investor return to equity for life. Whereas and in this case it was a seventy thirty split, whereas the A one investors are exited early and do not get the upside. So we said this before. This is just saying it in a different way. Equity investors are kicked off the bus, kicked off the boat, whatever vehicle you want to use. We're basically using them and we're paying them for their services of their money. But once we get the money, we're kicking them off because they're equity. So they get their passive losses, but they do, are not entitled to the upside. They just get a straight return. And that is the downside of A1. No upside. You're just getting your straight maybe 10 or 11% or pref equity are removed earlier, a lot quicker than A2 investors, where the A2 investors typically stay to the, to the area end, at least how I do it. Again, always check your PPM, right? Because there are deals out there where even A2 investors are diluted out. I, I don't think that's fair, but I've seen deals out there where people do that. A2 has a slightly above break-even point in terms of occupancy if A1 would not get 12%. Let's just say the deal struggles. Technically, the A1s guys are going to get paid first. But if the A1s and A2s aren't getting paid, you know, the, the break-even point on all of these deals are pretty, pretty low. Most of the time, the deals go stabilize above 90%, no problem. And sometimes even in, in really hard times, it goes up to 80%. But a lot of these deals, you start to lose money. Again, it ranges, but anywhere from 50 to 70% is the typical range. So it's going to take a lot. For A1 and A2, traditional and pref equity to not get their distributions. Sometimes, of course, we always hold back because it's the responsible thing to do. It's not like we don't have the money or losing money, but we always want to be conservative and protect the asset. So this is a good example was like when we had COVID, right? There were a lot of more terms of fictions. There was a lot of insurgency. A lot of times we held back distributions 
on to investors, but we still paid out the A1 for the most part, even through COVID. So something that we're working through now and probably after the year 2022, this will probably be an afterthought. Nobody will ever think about this again. But during COVID, a lot of the lenders froze up for good reason, right? This country has never been through anything like this and it's unprecedented. When things are uncertain, what banks usually do is they get a lot more conservative and they require a lot of these, what I call COVID reserves, a huge chunk of money. I've seen it in our deals and from like a couple hundred thousand dollars to $600,000 that they want us to stick in the bank. Now the pref equity came in great for this situation because the deal with the lender that we had that's written into documents is once we hit certain metrics are in a couple quarters into the deal, they are to re release the said covert reserves and we are going to get it back. And that's where we, we like to exit out these prep equity investors. It's great for these situations. And I've used this saying in the past, pref equity makes good deals better because it allows us to time our leverage and our debt. By taking on that little extra debt in the beginning, yes, we're paying a little bit higher rate for it, but we're able to time it out at the right exact time and just to shed that debt and give most of the returns to the traditional equity investors at that point. And the, but the flip side is like in bad deals, pref equity makes it worse. So I've used this same terminology and same verbiage in terms of bridge loans. Used in the right situation, bridge loans are the perfect usage of debt and it allows you to be very flexible, low prepayment penalties, and allows you to get the rehabs done and reposition the asset. But in bad deals, it can be very risky. And that's why sometimes the use of long-term agency financing with big prepayment penalties may make sense. I think this is what's hard for most passive investors. You're not looking for general rules of thumb, and there is none. It's never a case of bridge debt versus agency debt is best. It's never the case that using a little bit of pref equity in the capital stack is good. It's hard to tell if you're a passive investor, but just know that it's not always, oh, if they're, they're doing this type of thing, it's always bad. It's always on a case-by-case -case basis. But yeah, that's sort of how the, these COVID reserves are working. And I anticipate after the year 2021, we won't really be talking about these types of things. There'll be something else that pops up, I'm sure. We get these COVID reserves back based on occupancy levels, relationships with the lender, and could range any from six to 12 months. A lot of investors have been asking, oh, when do you think you're going to get a good chunk of the breath equity back or my investment back? Because I want to kind of time things. And I'm like, here's the situation, right? And we don't know. It's unprecedented. Nobody's had their COVID reserves released yet. Nobody has gone through a pandemic and had to go through these lender restrictions or terms. And so we don't know. We just know what kind of what the deal was with the banks, which was based on occupancy levels, good relationship, and six to 12 months. But as anything in investing, there is risk. You could be in there longer. But accumulating your pref, right? Money is good. And that's the nice thing about being a pref equity investor. But yeah, hopefully this helped out, guys, as pref equity, traditional equity 101. If you guys got any questions, please let me know. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. 
Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.